Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm your host, Elaine miller Karras. Today's show is called Law Enforcement Interactions with the Community Resiliency Model, and my guest today is Jen Wallace, and I will say she's a leader bringing innovative trauma and resiliency-informed ideas into law enforcement. You know, also, uh, today is uh, International Women's Day, and I have to say that she is one of the people in the world that I think, as a woman, is doing amazing things that has been traditionally um, kind of a man's world. And so, Jen, I just want to honor you today and thank you for being on the show on this very special day. And I'm going to ask you in a moment to maybe call up someone you might want to call up for this day as well. But let me tell you a little bit more. She will discuss why resiliency matters to police and how resiliency wellness skills can be organically integrated into police trainings to help the communities they serve. She will share the, the work she's doing with a talented team where she is the program manager for sexual investigations at the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Commission that we will hear, <laughs> we'll, we will now call the Training Commission because that's a, that's a bunch of words to say all at the same time, Jen. But also, we really are so excited about you talking about uh, the work you're doing with the community and law, in, um, and law enforcement called the Resiliency Focused Community Policing Project. So, Jen, you have served, I mean, you look so young, so I can't believe this. You have served in and around law enforcement for over 33 years. You must have started when you were very young. Um, you've spent most of, you spent most of your career in Seattle as a criminal investigator, special agent, and supervisor with the U.S. Department of Defense, Defense Criminal Investigative Services, called DCIS. So, after you retired... In 2015, you decided to work with the Seattle Police Department in a civilian capacity in a human trafficking project, which I think we first started talking when you were working um, for that project. So, Jen Wallace, welcome. Um, I am so happy to have you. And let's talk a little bit about what we were discussing about how this is International Women's Day. And do you want to say something about who you'd like to acknowledge right now? Thank you so much, Elaine. It's really an honor to be here uh, on any day, but particularly this day, and to be able to work and talk to somebody I admire so much, that is you, um, is is, uh, something I'm especially grateful for. And I do have uh, so many members on my training team that I will, will be acknowledging throughout the program for all the contributions they're making to officers in, in Washington State. But I also especially want to recognize my uh, leadership at uh, the Training Commission, my, my boss, um, Monica Alexander, who was uh, the highest-ranking woman of color in the Washington State Patrol before coming over to uh, the Training Commission to, to lead this organization as currently the, the interim director. And she's just been incredibly supportive and dynamic and engaged in the work that uh, all the work we're doing at the commission, but she's been especially supportive of our training and our uh, integration of the community resiliency model. So I just wanted to offer a shout out to her. Well, I thank you so much. And, and we want to acknowledge her today. 
And as we have, we were talking beforehand that sometimes it's not an easy thing to be a woman and also to be a leader and certainly to be a woman of color. And as you, you know, bring this forward, I'm also thinking of one of the most important women of color in my life was my grandmother. She was from El Salvador. And uh, we used to call her, um, well, I would call her Abuelita Linda, which means beautiful grandmother. But that, when I was two, that came out as Licky. So that was her name for her entire life. But I guess I wanted to call her out because she was that person who gave me such unconditional love. I've talked, to her, I've talked about her before on the show. But I think especially when you think about um, the people that provide that kind of grit and and support to you when you're when you're little and sometimes not feeling so so uh, I guess grounded that she was that person who provided that for me. She died in 1990, so it's oh, it's hard to believe it's been that many years ago. But she is so in my heart and will always be. So I'm glad that we're recognizing recognizing these two women um, who have provided support for for both of us in different ways. So thank you for that, Jen. So I guess we can segue right now into some of the things that we're going to talk about, but I just want to check in with you right now. So what is on your mind today? I always ask all my guests that, even though we have prepared a lot of other questions. Oh, I'm just I'm just generally excited about the work we're doing and this opportunity to, to share more about it. Uh, I'm also excited that the, the days are growing longer. There's more light and warmth in the air. Um, I just I just feel incredibly supported by the team of uh, the, the training team I have, which again I'll, I'll be talking about. Uh, we just finished up a training on Friday, and so um, you know once once the stress subsides from from that week, you know just the gratitude kind of sinks in, and I'm just really thankful for everything they do. I feel like a captain of a team in some in many respects. You know that that they're they're the players, and uh, and I've met many of them, and there you have picked extraordinary people, or I guess maybe they've chosen themselves to come forward to be part of what you're creating in Washington State. So let me ask you a little bit, because I really want to get into what the program is all about, but we're, you know, we're using the word resiliency, and resiliency has different meanings for different people. So I'm just curious about what is your definition of resiliency? My, my definition of resiliency is, is that um, experiencing adversity and not staying stuck in that adversity, learning from it, um, growing from it, finding new new strengths and new tools, and then applying that to our experiences going forward. So that's so, what it means to me. And so knowing that you know you've had your own share of lived experience, I'm just wondering how your lived experience and the resiliency that you've found in your life, how does that kind of um, how has that encouraged you to be, I guess, passionate about the things that you've shared with me? How has that connection? How, how do those dots connect? Well, I think it goes back to uh, understanding the trauma and the impacts of the trauma and probably the, the fact that um, none of us have that opportunities to choose a, uh, a drop-down menu of how we're going to respond or react to something and being able to learn about that and apply that to, to my, my personal life as well as the work I'm doing in training officers and in, 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 in conducting sexual assault investigations, like helping folks connect the dots. And this is, you know, these could be the stressful or traumatic experiences, how the brain responds to it in ways that we can mitigate some of that stress and trauma through so the model that we're using. So you found out learning about the science of what happens to us and Absolutely. how 
we can learn, you say mitigate, how we can learn, I guess we call it access that resiliency zone when we're bumped out, which isn't always easy, especially in the times that we're living. But I guess I, would, I wanted to start out with by talking a little bit about, I think what Washington State did about this legislation that was passed, um, which leads to you creating this whole training program. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, and of course, I, I wasn't there or involved in the training at the time, but my understanding of the history was that the legislator became aware of trauma, the impacts of trauma, and how that manifests, particularly in uh, victims of, of violence and sexual assault. And they created uh, a, a training mandate, mandate for officers uh who conduct these adult sexual assault investigations uh, to, to go through a trauma-informed victim-centered training. And so that's what, uh, that's, that's the reason uh, the training commission, uh, they, they funded the, they provided funding to, and this legislation to the training commission to develop this training. And that's why, uh, and that's where I came in to, to develop that training. And you were involved in those early stages as well, if you recall, in early uh, or mid-2018. Well, I know I was kind of doing a happy dance when we first met. Um, I know you have an also a background in mindfulness, which I think we have a mutual friend, which is one of the ways that we made a connection. Yes. Um, and so, so you have been in this arena of looking at these resiliency-informed interventions. And so bringing this into a training program, though, for sexual assault interviews is not the easiest thing to do. So can you tell us some of the ingredients of how this this um, program works? We may have people from other states or even other countries that may want to emulate what you're doing in Washington State. Sure. Well, I think one of the concepts that was important to us early on was to bring in a multidisciplinary team. Lots of uh, folks with different backgrounds, whether they were attorneys or forensic interviewers, officers, of course, uh, advocates. We have uh, nurses and therapists involved in the training. So really getting those different perspectives. And then as we, as we put some of those uh, topics together for the officers to learn about, one of the things that was really important to us was, was both officer wellness and, and victim wellness going through those interviews. And I think I've heard through you the pretty common understanding of putting the oxygen mask on first. When officers are well, um, they're able to perform well, and particularly uh, in those interactions with sexual assault victims who may be reluctant to come forward. Um, Equipping them with both information and tools uh, just to facilitate those those interviewing practices. Well, one of the things I I was I I was really struck by when um, you had these individuals come to our training when we were doing in live um, trainings is that how much compassion. the law enforcement folks had and how they didn't want to re-traumatize the individuals that they had to ask some really hard questions in order to get to the information so that they could bring um, justice to them. And that was really humbling to think about that this, this victim may have had one or two things happen to them in their lives, but that the law enforcement also, they hear story after story after story. So that oxygen mask I really saw the importance. Otherwise, you just get the traumas piled upon, piled upon, and that can can be harmful to our well-being. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how that knowledge has contributed to the program and what the law enforcement individuals are saying about the integration of wellness skills within this within this project. 
Yeah, I just I want to reflect on a little bit of what you said on some of the the, the folks we've sent through the uh, Trauma Resource Institute's Community Resiliency Model uh, training to vet this model uh, to include with with the interviewing. Uh, it, initially, it may have seemed like a bit of a far-fetched idea to bring in wellness skills with more traditional law enforcement interviewing practices, but it was important to blend that understanding of trauma with some some wellness practices, as you know, um, because when when we've experienced trauma, we can become dysregulated, our nervous systems, and having that basic understanding of how the nervous system functions and how to help regulate that for the officers and the victims is 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 really essential to those to those interactions and knowing when to uh, integrate one of those skills one or a few of those skills during the the interviewing process and I think it's important to say what we're we're not doing something that's so far out of of the uh, bounds of what officers are already doing we are maybe emphasizing some of those things that they're they're already doing you know, we, we talk about rapport building. Well, there's a, which is, you know, developing that relationship with the person they're interacting with. And uh, the community resiliency model has a scope, or one of the wellness skills is resourcing. And it's it's talking about something that's either neutral or pleasant to bring in that sense of well-being and sense the well-being, not just thinking about it, but actually sensing it in the body. And so we're, we're instructing officers about how to do that and how that can be beneficial uh, at some other point in the interview when uh, a victim is, is providing those details of the assault and they may become um, dysregulated in some way to help bring them back into the to the here and now. So we talk a lot about that, is bringing uh, that, that victim or survivor back into the here and now in order for them to be able to um, continue with the interview and also to provide that, let them know that they already have what they need to to know they, they have within themselves the ability to, to regulate themselves because we, we all know that the criminal justice process can be very challenging, particularly for victims. So we right. can equip them and remind them of these wellness skills uh, that's good for the victim, that's good for the officer, that's good for the, the whole criminal justice process. And I think one of the, the things that I've certainly learned from all of you and also as you're having to ask these really um, very definitive questions that can, you know, bring you back to what's ha- what happened to you. That as human beings, this is a very normal process, that as we start telling something chronologically, we start experiencing the sensations that were connected to the assault in the present moment. And I think that I've seen as I've talked to some of your, um, the crim teachers that have come out of the program, that they really have understood this and that they see now and they do what we call tracking or observing the sensations connected to activation and actually can help the um, the survivors come back into a, a state where they have better access to their prefrontal cortex so they actually can tell more of the story and the details to help the officers bring a person to justice. So I'm, I'm wondering if, could you give us an example? I know that your colleague, Amy, has said some, given me some incredible stories, but it might be helpful for the listeners to maybe give us an example. I know that, to, and also to protect the confidentiality of the person to maybe disguise some of the, the, the details, but can you give us an example of how the, um, the survivors have reacted to this way of interviewing? Well, I, I, you know, it's been a little while since I've, I've actually been in the field as an investigator, but I have heard 
uh, references from people like Amy and, and Brad uh, when they, they've applied these, these skills out in the field to folks who are, I mean, again, as, just as you stated, having them go back to recall that traumatic event that they will uh, become activated and either become so anxious that they're not able to respond or so low that they're just, they're not available. And, and if we can bring in one of these skills, for instance, I know Amy and I know she's listening, uh, has used something like noticing the fabric on the chair just to get that person or a temperature in the room, get that person to come back to the here and now and maybe bring them out of that traumatic incident, even momentarily, so that they can recognize that they're, they're here in front of someone interviewing them um, uh, for the advancement of, of the case and for uh, uh, the accountability of the suspect. You know, so if we can, and we just had a training. I mean, that's, that's where my role is, is, is as the training manager. And uh, we ask at the end of the class for feedback from the officers about the things they've learned. And many of them have had some uh, background or understanding of trauma at this point. Um, it's, uh, uh, but, it's, but to be able to have some of these wellness skills was something they highlighted as a feature of the training that they, they're excited to take back into the field because they've been in those situations where they haven't been able to continue interviews or it was so upsetting to a victim that um, you know they, they dropped out and they didn't want to continue with the investigation process. So having these tools, having these skills to actually tend to the victim in those interactions in, in another way um, can really be beneficial. And, and again, many of the officers in the training last week highlighted that as something new that they learned and they're excited to, to take it back into the field with them. And we've heard feedback from, from officers who've done it who've said that it's been really a valuable uh, uh, practice to do that, both for themselves and the people they work with. And I think as, as you say that out loud, I, I remember um, a couple of the people that you brought to us and they were doing their, well, in the Community Resilience and Teacher Training Program, they learn the model and then they create little trainings that they uh, deliver to the senior faculty of our, of our training programs. And there were two individuals, one was, a, um, one was a police officer and the other person was, I think, a prosecuting attorney. And there was, there was a group of people listening and one of the, two of the women had had experiences of domestic violence and one of them had had a really bad experience with a police officer. So when your um, when your when your community resiliency model teachers started to teach and the, their compassion and the way they delivered the information, um, this particular person started crying. And so you know they paused and we said you know can they reached out you know can we help? And she said I just never knew that someone in law enforcement could be so kind. And there was this moment, I mean, I have to tell you that it kind of brings tears to my eyes right now because there was a synergy between really a community member, right? And someone who had an opinion of law enforcement that you could see that it was shifting based on the compassion and what these particular people were trying to do to really change something from the inside out to say, we need to change this. We need to make this better. We need to have an approach that's not only trauma-informed, but resiliency-informed. And the way that they crafted it and they brought it forward was just, you can, I can just say, it was just touching and kind. And I remember at the end, because I, you know, I'm, of course, I'm from California, you know, the Kumbaya state. But at the end, it's like this woman said, can we get, can we have a group hug? Of course, that's when we could hug people. And so it was like, there was about six people in the room and we're all giving each other hugs. And I think that was probably the last thing that 
some of the folks in that room thought was going to happen. But it's like when you talk about humanity, Jen, and maybe this is a time we could bring this in, because there is this humanity piece that we've both seen that has happened as a result of the project. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I and I just did wanted to add on onto what you were just just talking about. It's not only our the folks who we've we've sent through the community resiliency model training, but I see this in officers all the time. I mean, they're coming into our class and they're open and willing to learning new skills. You know, they're they're hungry for this information, and I get to witness. I get to go bounce around to the different groups and watch these interviewing practices, and it's it's a awkward. It's you know, it's new for them. There are observers in the room. Uh, and the, their willingness to try new things is just so, I mean, I'm so inspired by it in the work that they're doing out there. And, and those are the types of things that I want uh, the public to know about. Um, you know, I wish they could see, you know, some of the work that these officers are doing on a day-to-day basis, you know, and their willingness to, to try these new things, to work, to be able to work with victims and survivors in, in different ways uh, than we have in the past. You know, I was guilty as being one of those officers or investigators who, if I saw someone was looking off or, um, you know, they were fidgety or their, their, their information was fragmented, you know, I was trained at a time when we thought that those were signs of deception. And now we know those are signs of trauma. And we understand those impacts of trauma and that we have these, these tools to work with, with the trauma um, and so I'm, I'm really excited about that we're, we're bringing that in and we're not uh, uh, causing some of the harms we, we have in the past because we didn't know, you know, or the ways we ask questions, which there may have been a, a basis for those questions, but we didn't, we didn't know then, you know, how judgmental we were sounding. We were doing the check the box. Um, well, and I think this is, what, this is what we talk about, you know, trying to do s- change systemically. So there could be maybe one person, let's say like you, oh, I'm going to go be trained at UCLA's mindfulness and become a mindfulness instructor. And then you're bringing that into a group of people. But we're talking about a state that has made the decision that every single person who does these interviews needs to be trained in a trauma-informed way to learn about the neurobiology. Because as we know, it's hard to change the ways that we've learned things from long ago. But to think about just the misconceptions that if we thought if someone turned away or didn't look us in the eye, that they were being deceptive. But for some of us looking a person in the eye, can remind us of the trauma that we experienced when someone said, look us in the eye right now. And all of a sudden, then then there's a slap or a hit or an assault. And then why would you want to look a person in the eye, right? So we're trying to bring that information in. But I think it's also important that it does to know that it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, I'm just wondering how many, now you're charged in the state of Washington. I want to come back to that humanity question though, but but before that, is that you're charged in the state of Washington to bring this training program to to all the officers in Washington State or just a few? So it, it's it, the mandate is for all officers who conduct, regularly conduct a, a adult sexual assault investigations. So how many so people? T- well, so to many? date, we've trained about 400 officers in the two years since starting the program. And I would tell you that we have relatively small classes because of the importance of conducting these interviews. And I just... This is where I get to praise. We have a we have a cadre of actors. Many of them also are familiar with the community resiliency model. It's important for us to, to spread the resilience to the extent we can, who come in and portray 
uh, victims and survivors of sexual assault. And so they, they're interacting with these officers who are learning these new interviewing skills, maybe some familiar interviewing skills or some, you know, bringing the uh, wellness skills into these interviews. We have actors who are doing that with us, which is, is a pretty unique feature of our training. And so they also have the ability to, um, you know, to, to have these, these live interactions. Anyway, to, the point is that our, our classes are smaller and we have a lot of moving parts and we have a law enforcement facilitator in each interviewing team as well as a community resiliency model facilitator. So we're making sure we're meeting all of the investigative components of the interview or many of them as well as those uh, wellness skills, you know, getting feedback about where those might be appropriate in the interview. So. That's something we've just started. We've evolved this over the two years that we've done these trainings and seems to be working pretty, pretty, pretty well at this point. So we're excited about it. And so are there a lot more to train or is... Um, oh, I yeah. I think we'll be... <laughs> okay, we'll be there's training a for, okay. for a long time. For a long time. But 400, that's amazing in two years to have that many people trained knowing that there has to be the small number because you really want to make sure that they're gaining these skills, not only the interviewing skills of the questions that you have to ask to get to the information, but also helping the survivor come through this with hopefully not re-traumatizing them. I know that was one of the goals that you shared with, with us when you were first starting. So... Um, so what I also, you know, want us to um, to continue to talk about, Jen, is um, the humanity piece. And I think that there's, that's what that I certainly saw, is that common humanity. And when you bring the common humanity of community members with law enforcement, I think the whole idea of having a resiliency-informed community policing could maybe change that structure, the systematic um, structures of racism that have concerned so many of us and that certainly has come to light in the last in the last year we know it's been there for a long time but i think that the the events of the last year in particular i think the killing of george floyd um and i know that you shared that with me really um said to law enforcement you need to take a look and i think it's important for our listeners to know that you're not not taking a look so when we return from our break, I'm hoping that we can segue into talking about the resiliency-informed community policing program and how that came about. I know that the Trauma Resource Institute is a partner with you, and I, I do recall, uh, uh, I think it was an email saying, I need to talk to you and Michael Sapp, our chief executive officer. And I remember sitting in my backyard becoming really excited about the possibility of doing what we're now embarking on together. So when we come back, would you please let us know more about it? And I know that our listeners are going to want to know more of the details because this is something that's important for every police department in um, in our country and beyond. And, you know, we do have a lot of listeners that listen to us in different countries. So I want you to know that these, these ideas are not just for us here, but also for other folks that could be thinking about how they can improve their systems as well. So with that, um, we will be taking a short break. And when we come back, um, Jennifer Wallace is going to talk to us again about um, the community policing project that she's working on. And Jen, thank you so much for being with us at Resiliency Within at Voice of America. And we will take the break now.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Jen wallace who is going to continue to talk with us about the work she's been doing in the state of Washington through the police commission. And I asked Jen, as we get started with talking a little bit more about the community policing, knowing that this has been a tough year for many people, as we say, how do we get through these unprecedented times? But I'm thinking particularly of law enforcement, especially those of you in law enforcement that are really working in this trauma-informed, resiliency-informed ways when we've learned some of the things that have happened by some people in law enforcement. But also, not only that, but with just the insurgency that happened and seeing that there were, you know, police that lost their lives, some who committed, uh, who suicided. Um, So what helps you get through when you're feeling those low days and like going, really, is this really happening? What, What helps you get through, Jen? I I think one of the primary things that uh, helps me get through is being of service to others. And I've learned that through my own recovery from addiction. And, you know, it's, it's that support uh, and being able to support others has really, um, really bolstered my own well-being. Um, And and knowing that we're doing something meaningful and that I have this amazing team of people around me who, who, who wants to do this work to uh, improve the experiences for the, the victims and survivors in Washington State. So I think that's among the things. There are many things that help me. My dogs help me sometimes. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I know you've got two very big dogs, and one of them likes to get away, and you live out in the wilderness, so yes. And his name is Rodeo, so he's true to his name. <laughs> his yeah, rodeo. Oh, my He's taken me for a few rides. Yeah. Well, him. you know, and, you know, as, as you talk about your dogs and the resources, but I want to come back to saying, you know, this amazing team and that you're a person of service. It also strikes me that it's really important that you not only have your team, but also the leadership. Because 
you can have a team, but sometimes the leadership is not as invested with sometimes what team members want to do. And I think that we've, we're certainly learning that if we're going to make systemic change, it has to be the team and the team has to include the leadership. So the fact that you have that, I think, you know, do you feel that really, um, really does fuel the success of what you're doing? Absolutely. And Elaine, we've brought this model, you know, this wellness skills. So we're, we're constantly referencing these wellness skills whether, when we're with each other. So we know how to, you know, take care of our own resiliency and help foster that in each other. And I think that's one of the, the biggest uh, compliments of this, this team is that, is that we do support each other's resiliency. And, and by doing so, we're, that, that it enhances the work that we're doing together with these officers uh, in their in their interviews of sexual assault victims and survivors. So it has that ripple effect. So, and that ripple effect has led to this also this idea that you brought to the Trauma Resource Institute about resiliency-informed community policing. So um, can you let us know a little bit more about that? So yeah. what prompted you to make that call? What was going on? And let us know a little bit more about that because I think that's going to be of interest to our listeners. Yeah, well, I, I, I think you, I mean, you've referenced it uh, a little earlier before the break. And, you know, just after the, uh, the murder of George, George Floyd, I think we, we all, many of us in law enforcement re- uh, realized that, you know, we were, it was time for us to learn some new skills and ways of, of policing and that we were in the midst of a reconciliation. And, and our officers, I mean, who were, uh, you know, on the front lines of these protests, many of them are, are my friends. Um, in, in the Seattle Police Department. Yeah, Seattle. I mean, you had a whole street that was taken over, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. And I was living there at the time. And I had been living in the city, which I considered my city, my home for 27 years, and was heartbroken to see the... Um, and the tensions between the community and the police, um, you know, ho- holding that space for, for both, for all, and wanting to make sure that our officers were equipped with not only information, but some wellness skills in, uh, to um, promote, uh, you know, well-being within themselves. And again, just as we're doing with the victims of sexual assault, uh, bring, bringing that well, cultivating that wellness within our community. So... I remember, you know, around that time, I was like, what can we do? What can we do? How can we, how can we help? We're a training organization. And I was like, oh, we're doing something. You know, having that realization is that what we're doing in the sexual assault investigation could be applied, applied more broadly. And we had had a team of, of maybe 12 or so, 11 or 12 uh, officers, prosecutors, uh, advocates trained in the community model. And so the thought was, huh, what, what if, we, if we collaborated with the Trauma Resource Institute and we, uh, we provided this kind of training to officers at large, you know, regardless of whether they were conducting sexual assault investigations or, you know, robbery or whatever, whatever they were uh, patrol officers, whatever, whatever officers were involved with, that, that we knew that there was a benefit to understanding trauma and applying these wellness skills. And so... Can I just add one thing too, if I can interrupt for just a second, because the other part, which actually comes back to, I said I was going to come back to humanity, is that, you know, Jen, you are a a person who carries in your heart 
you know, because I kind of think I've gotten to know you over the last few years, but your um, appreciation of this aspect of our common humanity, because it was the law enforcement, but it was also the community and that what you were suffering about the community members. So that was the kind of the bridge that was happening is that how we can, we can bring this to the law enforcement, but then how do we bring it to the community? Absolutely. Let you continue because that, I think those two things coming together is when you called um, the Trauma Resource Institute about both. Absolutely. How, you know, and, and I think the question for us was how could we, that, that shared with that emphasis on that shared humanity and as you know it's shared biology you know we have a common biology a nervous system that works similarly um, may have different things that that activate us but um, if we could if if officers and community members could work together in the context of this community resiliency model and and learn about and grow their resiliency together then it seems there would be a huge benefit to um to the communities that we're, we're serving um, and the, the criminal justice process and system itself. So that, that is something that we're, um, we are building and we have been building uh, over, the, over these last several months. And we're, we're continuing to add uh, facilitators to our, to our, our group. Um, and so it, and one of the things that I recognize more recently is that my organization is a training organization, although my team, I would consider us to be a community. But that word community is really important. And it means some, may mean something different to each one of us, but it is the first word in that model. And uh, if we could, and we each have our communities. I have a recovery community. I have a community of friends. Um, I have my training community. If we could go to our respective communities and bring law enforcement and organizations or individuals together and offer some some resiliency training, then that would serve all of us. You know, to have common long, common understanding, common wellness skills, uh, basic wellness skills um, to to uh, resort to when we're in those conflicts, when we're in those crises. I mean, that's. You know, in, in growing our context for each other, getting to know more about each other through these these um, these trainings together. So that and is how, something that we're we're looking we're, we're trying we're building. So could you tell us a little bit about the building blocks? So what are the building blocks that are going into com- creating this new program? So first, we have to have those those individuals who are trained and certified teachers in the community resiliency model. Uh, they're also getting some practice as part of our sexual assault investigation training and delivering these these trainings to law enforcement officers. Um, and we're also so that those are the the two building blocks. And then I've asked them to reach out to to identify those organizations or individuals in their communities to work those with those communities and bring in law enforcement officers in those communities to do some trainings together. And in addition to that, we are, we've been invited this, uh, this week, in fact, to work with the Trauma Resource Institute. I will be facilitating a group of, of representatives from the training commission. One is an actor who works on our, our training. There's a member of a community who's very involved in domestic violence, um, volunteering and working with sexual offenders in the community and rehabilitating them. We have a member of our wellness team at the commission, 
as well as um, a civil attorney who works in sexual assault investigations. So they each have their own communities that they've work, been working with and training with. And once they go through this training and we participate with TRI, because as you know, the, the, I mean, there's a lot of the training that TRI is already offering that, that as long as our um, participants, as long as our trainees can learn that, then they can go out and, and provide these trainings. And the commission will serve as kind of a central uh, repository or coordinator of these trainings. So I'll be doing some too in my community out here, two hours east of Seattle, but we're each identifying those organizations to bring those communities together to do this training. So there's a big part of this, this community outreach. So, and I know that law enforcement is already involved in that, but it's like very intentional that you want to get members of of various groups to come in to be partners with the law enforcement to become CRIM teachers. And then together, do you see yourself going out, let's say a law enforcement person with a community member so that you're bridging this and creating these partnerships between community Absolutely. and law enforcement? That's, I think that's the most effective way of doing the training is representing, you know, again, going back to that common humanity. And it's like, we're working as we're working together and complementing each other, I may have that law enforcement history and perspective, whereas someone else I'm working with may have you know, some of the perspective of of these organizations, other community organizations. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I think that when we've seen what's happened around the country, is many people say, well, we don't have a voice. We don't have a voice. We don't have a voice. Um, Law enforcement needs to hear what we're saying. So how do you think that this can help people that have felt that they've been othered by the system? How do you think these kinds of partnerships are going to I mean, I know it's that common humanity, but could you elaborate a little bit upon that? Because I think this is like a key for what I think needs to happen in our country right now. And you have ideas about that. I mean, it's not always easy for us to listen, especially when we're, when we feel like we're being unnecessarily criticized or necessary, even necessarily criticized. But if we can attend to our nervous system you know, through the, these wellness skills, by, by being able to ground ourselves and to take care of ourselves and that we can be open to what we hear. And then, then we have a starting point. But that well-being, you know, that oxygen mask <laughs> um, is really yes. essential. Um, and for us to kind of do our own work, I know personally I'm doing my own work in, in, um, in equity inequality that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm engaged in my own practice and I've asked all my team members to do the same because it's such an essential part of, you know, understanding, understanding our history and also being open to hearing the history and experiences of others. But if we we're not able to regulate our nervous systems and be aware of when we're becoming activated and be able to bring ourselves back, then it will be more challenging for us to make that kind of progress that we need to as a, as a community and country and so and so bringing these partnerships together so it's almost like you're doing a um i don't know a hybrid we're doing so much hybrid thinking these days but bringing people together from from different uh, walks of life that hopefully that's sprinkling these wellness skills but also i'm thinking about the communication that's happening so have you seen an increased dialogue between law enforcement and some of these community members. I mean, just for them to decide to participate, let's say, in a teacher training program, that says something. So are you going out into the community? Do you have, I mean, I know, are there, what, what are the, the ingredients of that? How do you 
um, organize the community for these new concepts? So I think for me, in the role that I'm in currently, it's it's really about ident- identifying those those folks who are the bridge builders. You know, knowing who those folks are and bringing them into this training so that they can then take that out, carry that back out to the communities that they're working in. And so, and that's from the networking that you would, you just traditionally do as part of the, being the the program manager. Yeah. You know, and that's for my, uh, one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for is that I see the synthesis of all of my experiences coming together to do this work. You know, um, whether I was, it was when I was in federal law enforcement, whether it's when I was working uh, as a program advisor on a human trafficking grant at Seattle PD or working as a volunteer in domestic violence, like all, or or going through the mindfulness program at UCLA, or going through recovery, you know, all of these, I'm starting to see where all of these, um, all of these places meet and can be synthesized in, in, in the service that I referenced earlier, that we have the ability to to offer something so that can be so beneficial to everybody, to the people that we're, we've already been working with. You now I'm bringing people mm-hmm. in that I've known and trusted, and I've, I've known they've done their own work. You know, it's those folks who've really done those reflections and have done their own work that are, are involved in this training and bringing that out to officers and communities and can hold hold that space for everyone. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Jen, you're just so humbly, you know, described your lived experience, which all those different things that you've, you've gone through in your life haven't been easy. And, you know, we talk about um, post-traumatic resiliency or post-traumatic growth. And as you say, that all these different things that you've lived and experienced have come together to bring yourself to this moment of really a greater humanity and how you're looking at the world. I mean, I just have to say that out loud because I, I just was connecting the dots as you were talking. And mm. I, I know that the journey hasn't always been easy for you. And so I think anybody that's listening out there going, gosh, my life sucks sometimes. And so what are the what are the things that we learn from those times when we made the missteps? You know, I think I was sharing with you that I, I was out of my zone and experience that I had last week. And I felt really badly about some of the things that in if I was in a more resilient space, I would have said some things differently. And I think it's important for us all to know that we don't always show up as our best selves, but that doesn't mean that we can't get there. And even if we work at building our resiliency, sometimes that resilient zone goes up and down, right? So sometimes there's a wider width and sometimes it's a very narrow bandwidth. And what, and what, how does that happen? Lived experience, right? When those things start piling up. Yeah, lived, lived experience and surrounding those people, surrounding ourselves with those people who are always also committed to that well-being. Right, because we have lived experiences sometimes when maybe the people that were surrounding us were going, whoa, I got to get out of here because it's toxic, right? This is a toxic environment. Yeah, we all and, know those places. <laughs> yeah, we do know those places. But I think what's, what's, par- what's possible is even if we make the mess steps, we can apologize, we can repair, and we can say, you're, I mean, if we don't say the elephant in the room and say, you're right, I was out of my zone. And what can I do to make amends? And I think when you talk about recovery, right? Recovery is full of amends making. And there's the synergy again. When we do that, we can create better futures for our families, for our our communities, and really from the for the broader macro system that we've seen so um, 
impacted over the last few years. I mean, that's what gives me such, it gives me great hope when I hear you talking about this. But um, so I'm just wondering too, if there's anything as maybe some people are thinking about, I want to do what Jen has done with her team in Washington state. How do I bring that to my community? Where do you think the standing, you need legislation like you had in Washington state, or do you think it could be done in smaller ways? What are some ways that you might be able to advise our listeners of how they could make this happen in their communities? Well, I think that's, I I think within, with anything, there are champions. You know, I was in a, a fairly small agency in my federal career and wanted to bring mindfulness into that organization. And, and I faced a lot of resistance doing that. And, you know, fortunately I had, uh, I was able to retire. I was eligible to retire. And so I kept seeking, I kept seeking those places where I could bring either mindfulness or something that, that was similar to it, some well-being into, into law enforcement. So I found that place, but and in, in there, those champions are out there. Those champions are in law enforcement. They're in various organizations. They're in healthcare. I mean, they're you know those folks who are really who've been through some things and they want to uh, offer uh, to, to give back and to help others. I know when I went through training, law enforcement training, twenty. Uh, 30 many years ago, a few decades ago, we didn't talk about wellness. We talked about physical fitness and that was it. Fortunately, now we're having more conversations about well-being, emotional well-being, uh, uh, spiritual well-being, all, all aspects of well-being. So I think there's more receptivity out there. And I think police departments, police officers are more open to it. They're starting to hear more about that. I know we're talking more about that in our, in our training academy. So I think that if you can find those champions uh, and work together and, and, you know, the, the community resiliency model is such a, a great model to, that plays well with others. I've heard that. I like <laughs> yeah. that phrase plays because well it really in the sandbox. does. <laughs> yes. I, can use, I can use it anywhere, anytime, anywhere. Uh, with any, you know, if I, I use it in a recovery group, you know, there, there are ways um, using the resiliency zone. There are features of that of that model that can really be used well with with um, uh, anything and everything. And I've done a lot of things in order to um, improve upon my own well-being. So that's what I would suggest. And I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And there are some, there's some resources out there as well. Um, we just gave a presentation for the End Violence Against Women Inter- International. That's EVAWI uh, for short, EVAWI.org. They have a conference every every April on on sexual assault investigations, and our training is, is one of the uh, uh, one of the topics for their uh, th- this annual training. So I and we talk a lot about what we did with this training, how we built it, how we're delivering it, and so that's certainly a place that that folks can go to learn more about at least the sexual assault investigation interviewing training. Um, but I'm, so I'm always really, happy to talk about this topic. You're really bringing this out to the broader world. I mean, I, that's what I'm just so impressed about is that this may have started in Washington state, but there are the growing arms of it, tributaries that are going out into other arenas. So this is one of the ways is now, I, is there any other thing that you're doing through law enforcement to bring this forward? Um, I remember you telling me something about presenting at another conference or maybe that was just going to the state legislature. I don't know, but I was very excited to hear that you presented this to the governor. Is that correct? We did. We had one of the things that we're doing that's a, another unique feature of this training is that the, one of the ways we evaluated the training is we go to 
police departments when we look at their case files. And we've done some, uh, in, we, we do surveys with the officers who've been through the training. We ask them about the wellness skills and their reliance on these skills. So we're getting feedback that way, but then we're, we're producing an annual report in order to do these case reviews on an annual basis. So we get to, we get to we're in this, this environment of continual learning and adapting the training to the needs of the officers and the need, quite frankly, the needs of the victims and survivors of the state. So, um, you know, we're getting, I can't believe we're almost, we're only have a few minutes left. So I really want to give you an opportunity if there's one last statement you want to make, but also I want to give you um, the time to let people know how they can get in touch with you, Jen. So can um, you let them know? Yeah, the easiest way is through my, my email address at the training commission, jwallace uh, at cjtc dot wa for Washington dot gov jwallace at cjtc dot wa dot gov so if they were to go to the to the Washington State um, Commission training program they could just go there and be could they find you on that website as well they can find uh, more out more about the training for under sexual assault investigations special okay. or special investigations is how that's the the general title for uh, for the the training. Okay. And there's also and a child abuse course under that training investigation training. Well, one of the things, Jen, that I often say to on this program and often say to the world that as hard as things have been, you are a living example of what else is true. Um, and the people that work with you that are bringing these wellness skills forward with these ideas about community policing, with this resiliency and trauma focus, and also what you're doing with the sexual assault interviews to think about not re-traumatizing individuals is such an important thing and how that might change a person's experience of going from being victimized to being a thriver and a survivor. So I want to thank you for being the person you are on this International Women's Day because you're one of my shout out people, as you know. And thank you, Elaine. Yes. And I just want to, if, if you don't mind me giving you a shout out, oh. you are the one, one of the ones who taught me that the trauma is not the end of the story. No. The resiliency is a continuation of the story. Exactly. And so that's what we get to focus on. Yes. And so our so will. Thank you for that our well-being and how we spread it forward. And I try to be a living example of that. Not always perfect, but try um, to make those apologies when necessary. So I'm going to just invite our listeners as they're going through their week to remember what's true in your life. You know, what's going on with you personally or maybe with the organization that you work with or your family and say, just like Jen did, what else could be true? What could we bring forward, not only into my own life, but into the community that I love and that I've worked with for so many years, and to see how we can put that oxygen mask on first. And just to let you all know that next week, I have two wonderful women from Northern Ireland, from Belfast, that will talk about how they're bringing in resiliency ideas to their prison ombudsman program and to a victim survivors network in Northern Ireland. So I'm so happy happy to have my first international guests on the program. So Jen, thank you again so much for being here. And we will list, we will see you all next week at Resiliency Within Voice America. Tune in. Thank you for coming. <music> 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. 